This is the Subscription Rockstars podcast, brought to you by Subway, the number one subscription e-commerce platform. This podcast is where entrepreneurs, marketers, and business owners learn tactics to grow their subscription revenue with your host, Stefan Pretty. Hey, Rockstars, this is Stefan from Subly, and you're listening to Subscription Rockstars podcast. I have a very special guest today with me. Um, his name is Ryan Hogan. Um, and first of all, I just want to say thank you uh, for being here today, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, man. Um, Ryan's got a really interesting story. Um, I'll give the introduction to Ryan, like the official bio. Um, but just before I do that, uh, this is actually both available as a audio podcast, but also a video podcast. So you can check us out on YouTube if you're listening to this, or you can just, uh, if you're wanting to listen to it on the go, don't forget to go on Apple Podcasts and uh, subscribe to the Subscription Rockstars podcast. So without further ado, Ryan Hogan is the co-founder and CEO of Hunter Killer an innovative gaming company that delivers clues, items, and cor correspondence to your doorstep that creates an interactive and immersive story for its members. Now, I have to say, uh, it, it, this is probably one of the most innovative and unique subscription business models that I've come across today. And let me just say, I've come across a lot because that's exactly <laughs> what I deal with. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a really cool one. And um, I, I'm just going to dive straight into the interview because the first question is actually specifically about what is Hunt Killer, uh, in your own words, and also what is the backstory? I'd, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, quite simply, Hunt Killer is an immersive story that's delivered to doorsteps each month. And, you know, it's very, the, the most common question I get is, is like, how did you start this thing? Or, or how did you even come up with this like weird murder mystery immersive experience? Um, and, and the reality is it, it, it dates back quite a few years. And so if you, if you rewind back to 2009, 2010, when the obstacle race industry was, was really starting to take off here in the U.S., um, you had the, the Tough Mudders, the Warrior Dashes, the Spartan Races. And then you had us, um, my, my co-founder and I, who developed a concept called Run For Your Lives. And Run For Your Lives was the first ever zombie-infested five-kilometer <laughs> obstacle course race. And you know what's what's interesting about that is is you know it had it was a post-apocalyptic world. All of the obstacles were very thematic. Um, all of our participants wore a flag football belt that had three flags, and if you crossed the finish line without any flags, um, then you were a zombie, and and the zombies had had eaten you during or throughout the course. Um, and that's really the the genesis or or where where my my co-founder and I got our background in live events. And then fast forward to 2016, we were using very similar principles where it was, you know, we were looking for experiences that um, people were, were gravitating towards. And 2016 was um, escape rooms coming over from Europe and Asia. 2016 was um, interactive theater, like the off-Broadway Sleep No More, where you can engage with, with the experience on a, on a more kind of natural level. Um, and then it, adventure races were, were still kind of lingering around. And so... When you look back to Hunter Killer V1, it was a live event. Um, we transformed a 200-acre campground into a living crime scene, and we brought 600 participants down to kind of wade their way through this experience and engage with actors, ask questions, stumble upon crime scenes, you know, and just build this this massive party afterwards. And Sounds that, amazing. That was, yeah, it, it was it was amazing, and, and we we would definitely continue doing it um, if we made some money. And, and the problem was is we got through this whole thing and we had like 10 grand left over. It was about a year of work. 
And my co-founder and I looked at each other. We're like, this is like, this isn't going to, going to feed the children. And you know, this just isn't a scalable model. And so that, that was our first pivot with the company. Two weeks after that first event, we, we pivoted and, and we said, um, you know, we, we believe that we have found product market fit with an immersive experience um, and being able to build communities around this. And what other business models exist where we can, where we can deliver this type of story? Subscription boxes, 2016. And, and so we said, okay, well, let's, let's make an immersive experience and put all of these clues and items and correspondence and deliver it episodically each month. Um, and we can, we can ship it globally. And that's, that's really the, the Genesis story. It's awesome. I mean, like, even when you were explaining and describing how it came about, I was feeling compelled uh, to, to experience it myself, to be honest with you. So uh, I guess that says something. Um, so congrats, first of all, for, for um, you know, coming upon this idea and this concept. Um, and do you, can, you, can you share like a couple of, uh, I call them vanity metrics, uh, about the, the progress? Because obviously that's four years now that you've been a subscription business uh, bringing us to today. So like what's, it's, from what I've saw and heard, it's, it's been quite a strong trajectory. So is there anything that you can share with us for the audience? Yeah, sure. Yeah, th- this has certainly grown beyond our, our wildest dreams. And, you know, we, once we, we find opportunity, we're, we're extremely ambitious and, um, and you know, we're going we're gonna to hit the throttle. And so when we pivoted the company and shipped our first box October 16th of 2016, um, we started with, I think, 46 members. Um, and we went from 46 members in October to about 1500 that December. And that's when we were like, okay, like maybe, maybe we have something. Cause it, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, 30 bucks a month, it's, um, you know, what is that? Um, just about 40, $45,000 of MRR. And so we hit the gas at that point. And so we went from, from 1500 members to 25,000 members, 25,000 to 60, 60 to a hundred. Um, today we're living over a hundred thousand active subscribers. We're shipping, about 40,000 um, packages each week. And uh, I think you saw it on my, my LinkedIn this week, but, yeah. but we are internally celebrating our 2 millionth episode shift. Um, and that was last Tuesday, July, uh, July 6th. That's awesome. That's yeah. seriously amazing. So congratulations. That's, that's an amazing achievement. Thank you. Thank you. We have, we have an amazing team. Like that's, that's the thing here is like, you know, this was, was really Derek's brainchild. I'm just the business guy trying to find product market fit. Derek's the creative guy. Um, and, and we would not be here with, without the incredible team that we have in place right now. Yeah. Um, t- I, you know, this is one thing that I've learned, especially over the last couple of years, how important the, uh, the, the, the people part of a business is. Um, so I, I, I totally understand and I can, I can tell that you, you're ge- being so genuine when you say that, like that, that you're so grateful for the people that are around you, basically. And that's amazing. So I'm glad you're getting to share that experience with your team. Um, so what was the actual uh, s- s- approach that you took uh, when you started the subscription part of the business? Um, were there any specific steps that you took to actually implement that um, to get it up and running? Yeah, there's a couple, and and you know one thing that that I always look at throughout my my career um, in entrepreneurship is is I've probably had thirty businesses of which ten of them have actually been an LLC or or an incorporation. Almost all of them have failed. I've I've had thousands of ideas, but one thing that has remained consistent is that the first purchase, if the the first purchase of that product or idea is not a mom, dad, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, something like that, 
the business has typically been successful, um, or at least the growth has been successful. Keeping it together is, is a whole different story, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's been a wild ride. Um, but that's, that's been pretty consistent. And so what actually happened is, is, that, is that when we were going through this event, we actually kind of secretly launched the subscription box and people were finding this thing. We had it, it was not clickable. It was not linked to anything. We had it on a, a, web, a web page. It was huntthekiller.com forward slash membership or subscription box or something like that. And people were finding this link somehow and ordering the subscription. And so that's, that's immediately when we knew that we had something. And, and like the, the, yeah. And that's the important thing also is, you know, I see subscription box companies, I see startups always launching this, this whole like email campaign and, and like, you know, you send people to a landing page and you collect their email addresses. Like I have always found that, that you want them to pull money out of their wallet. And we actually had them doing that very early on. And we would immediately send them a message and say, hey, sorry, this actually isn't even open yet. We don't have it. We'll send you your money right back. Or you can wait till we ship our first box. But just being able to, to figure out if people will pay for your idea um, is the first critical step. And then for us from there, it was just finding different marketing channels, which you know, I'm happy to get into that as well. Yeah, I mean, well, just to hang on that thought for a second, actually, I think that that is the biggest signal of intent, the, the parting with the cash. So that's, uh, that's incredible that you actually experienced that and went through that whole entire cycle. Um, but yeah, what I actually, I've got a question later that might um, be better for uh, the topic of marketing channels. So sure. let's hold off that for a second. But um, obviously you guys were growing rapidly, like very quickly, and that would have brought its own set of challenges. So, um, what are the biggest like scaling challenges that you faced, and and obviously like what was how, how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah, I, I think um, there's a ton of challenges. Everything from from supply chain, from um, diversification of marketing, to kind of hitting these these milestones, but then you plateau. You know what's what's interesting about business, and what's been interesting about us is like if you look at our our active membership, we are very uh, cyclic business. So, you know, Q4s are just smash for us. Um, Q1s, we're still growing, but not as much as we were in Q1. Q2, we start to level off. Q3, we actually start to decline um, mm -hmm. from an active membership standpoint. And then Q4, we go right back up. And so it's this continuous cycle. And so we have to kind of pull back from the big picture um, or from the, the small picture, look at it at 10,000 feet and say like, it's okay to experience these dips because collectively as a business each year, we are, we are growing. Um, you know, I think the biggest challenges and especially growing this fast and getting back to the team is, is how, how quickly the business evolves. And that puts a lot of people outside of their comfort zone. Um, and it's, it's a challenge, you know, the, the, the dynamics of, of, of teams and building a great team and keeping that team together, inspired and motivated when, you know, the, the outlook isn't so rosy, mm -hmm. um, you know, just as much as when, you know, when, when we're hitting ink list and, and, you know, getting amazing press, like, you know, everybody internally is celebrating, but every day is not a, a celebration and being able to, uh, uh, to keep everybody motivated and inspired throughout it is, uh, is a challenge. Also right people, right places. Right. And, and kind of getting back to that, that team is, is, um, you know, you find the perfect fit for a, the, the perfect job. Um, and what you realize is that six months later, like your business has gone from a million to 10 million, which, you know, most companies, you go through these natural, I think they call them whitewater, but you go through these natural whitewater events and you do it 
yearly or you do it um, you know, over three years or five years. And so there's more of like a gradual on-ramp to, to some of these transitions. Mm. For us, like, you know, every, every milestone is, is, a, is a quarter. Um, and we are a completely different business um, this quarter than we were last quarter. And it just, it presents so many challenges uh, as fast as we've scaled. Um, but we've been able to, to hold it together. And, and I think that's, you know, a, a testament to, to who we have on the team. Mm. Yeah, that, that sounds like, A, you guys are clearly very good at finding great people, which is an extremely important skill. And second of all, uh, that sounds quite addictive, actually. Like, to have that short cycles of, like, uh, what was it, the, the phrase you said, the whitewater uh, moments, is that what you said? Yeah, whitewater. Whitewater is, it, the whitewater moments is like, is like for a, a cyclic business or as you're growing, there's always these times where you realize that you may not have enough people on the team. You know, for, for us, it was just Derek and I, you know, now we have a, a leadership team of, of seven people. Um, and so like, there's these whitewater events where you're like, oh, we have a gaping hole over here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need the most amazing person. Um, and then it, also being able to evolve the product, right? Like, you know, for, for us, the, the biggest question we get is like, how big can Hunt a Killer grow? And our response is like, this isn't about Hunt a Killer. It's not about a, a, a murder mystery that's sent each month. We're an immersive entertainment company that delivers through multiple mediums. And so continuing to find extensions of the brands and continuing to, to be innovative in this space and find opportunities to grow outside of, you know, I wouldn't call true crime a niche, but it's certainly not, not a, a global you know, $10 billion company. And so, you know, what we're focused on right now as a company is, is, um, you know, what other genres can we get into? How can we continue to innovate in this, this storytelling space? Mm. Yeah. I bet that's quite fun. Like going through those idea cycles (laughs) and like bouncing ideas off of one another and be like, what about this? (laughs) That's That's awesome. Um, okay. So as I understand it, like you, you're, very equipped and, and knowledgeable in the area of scaling, obviously. Um, and we've spoke about the challenges, uh, but what would you say are like the main principles of, of scaling? Like, um, like the, the first, the first principles, like, um, I guess like another way of asking that question would be if you were a chef and you had the ingredients, what would those ingredients be in order to be able to be successful at scaling? I mean, you've already yeah. mentioned the team part, but I think I'm trying to go a little bit f- further below that maybe like the principles and the actual things that you would do uh in your head if that makes sense yeah i think one of the most important part and this probably gets back to to the the fundamentals of metrics right the, the only reason that we've been able to scale this company as fast as we have is because we look at at uh, some very simple metrics and we look at them on a on a daily basis and so you know when it's important that the model is right. The, the beauty of, of the event space is that you're collecting revenues before the event actually ever happens. And so you have to be very careful about how much money you invest into marketing because that's, that's a huge risk. But it, at the end of the day, you can typically fund events on their own without going for external capital. Um, for us, it, it's all about, especially in the recurring revenue space, it's all about average order value to customer acquisition costs for the cash return. And I know people talk about LTV to, um, or your customer acquisition cost to LTV ratio, and that's critically important. Like that will tell you if your business model in general is broken. Um, But to get more money through the door um, on day one than you're spending, um, your average order value has to be above your customer acquisition cost. 
And so, you know, how do you do that? You, you figure out the, the purchase mix and, and some of these other areas um, and, and you, you drive down your customer acquisition costs as much as possible. And then, you know, from there to see if you even have a sustainable business or a business that you should hit the, the gas on, then you have to look at your CAC to LTV ratio, mm -hmm. which, you know, typically we're shooting for anywhere um, from a, a two and a half to three and a half to one um, is what we look for. But, you know, that's been cash management is, is the biggest challenge, especially for us, we're bootstrapped. And so like every day is a, a life or death decision. <laughs> yes. So, you know, the pain. Yeah. You know, it's like every day it's, it's funny because, you know, people are like, Oh, this is amazing. You guys are growing so quick. It's, it's every day we are worried about cash and, and trying to put the, the things in place to, um, to make sure we can get to where we want to go. Yeah. Um, a, a metric I, I see thrown around quite a lot or discussed, which, um, it's still not one of the main ones because as you said, like it's CAC to LTV ratio that people are really paying attention to, but it's a time to profit or like um, payback period. So like, payback period. yeah, like the, the number of uh, months from like the time to turn a profit on a customer after acquiring them. And I think that that's probably quite an important metric, but if you could crack it so that you're getting the, you know, profit on the first, uh, first, payment like you're you're in a really healthy position so yeah. that, no, that's probably I, the best goal if that if that were if we didn't have um if we didn't have the aov to, to customer acquisition costs um principle then we would certainly be looking at, at the payback period because for us i think it's anywhere between month three and month four is typically where we start to get to that profitability um but that's it, typically you're looking at that when there's a significant investment in in inventory or or if you are actually out all of the money before you ever bring any of it back. And because we've been able to, to set up our purchase mix to a point um, and also, you know, add-ons and order bumps and things like mm -hmm. that, you know, we, we have um, like a 1.5x 1, 1. Uh, ROAS. And the thing you have to remember is, is that that ROAS is the immediate, is the immediate um, payback, is the immediate mm -hmm. return on ad spend. Mm -hmm. And so that is not accounting for, you know, the, the 85, 90% that we're going to renew the next month. Mm -hmm. And so like, as long as we can keep that metric going, we keep ca more cash coming through the door than it's going out. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's incredible actually. Um, and for those who are listening, ROAS's return on ad spend, uh, and you might've actually said that, but just in case, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that's an impressive business model if you're able to do that. And I guess that people should take note because that is the, the holy grail if you can achieve that. Um, so if, like thinking back, what would you tell younger Ryan if you were starting all over again? Like, what would you tell him? Yeah, I, I would tell my, I would tell my younger self to, to get started quicker. Um, you know, I, yeah, cause I, you've I got an interesting story, don't you? You're, yeah. you're like you, you were in the military before becoming an entrepreneur. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you take this back to, to third grade, I, I was selling creepy crawlers in third grade, Miss Price's third grade class. <laughs> um, it was 10 cents for, for a, like one of any color that I had or 25 cents for if you wanted like me to make one overnight and bring it in the next day. Um, so like I've always had this entrepreneurial thing. It's been landscaping. It's been shoveling driveways in, in Baltimore, you know, when the snow hit. Um, but I really didn't get started started until I joined the Navy. And so, you know, I was at kind of an inflection point in my life, probably not going down the best path, um, just to, just trying to find my way, a lost soul at, at 18. Um, and so I joined the Navy and, um, and really started to hone in on, on my passions and, and what I was most interested in. And that was two things. One, aviation, 
um, which I was a, a Naval Air Crewman on MH-53 Echo helicopters. Um, that's a story for another day. It was, mm -hmm. it was amazing. Um, and I, I had this um, passion to become an entrepreneur and just the passion to create things. You know, when you when you bring something to life that other people actually want and they want enough to pull out their wallet, like, I don't know, it's just a, it's an incredible feeling. And um, I, I would have, if I could look back, I would have gotten started sooner, but I started actually starting companies um, while I was still active duty. So mm -hmm. I, you go in the Navy, you go from sea duty to shore duty. Shore duty is typically not, you know, 12 hour days and, and gives you a little bit of time to take a break. And uh, I, I started my first company and that was called Warware, um, which was a flop, huge flop. And that was the first time I realized like, if you build it, they don't come. Mm. Um, you have to, you have to have some sort of value proposition or solve some pain point. So it just kind of evolved from there. And like, that's the other thing is, is this is a journey, right? Like, like I can draw a line from Warware to where we are today. And it's like, it doesn't, the business is just a vehicle. And, mm -hmm. and that's one thing that I've learned is like, have patience, believe in the system. And, and like, you know, it might be hunt the killer. It might be something else, but, but this is a journey. That's so true. That is so true. And, and yeah, two really important points there about the, you know, build it and they will come mindset that everybody tends to start out with and then learning the hard way through a, a micro failure. But then actually also the fact is that, as you said, it's like a fully extended journey and um, you, you're, you're somewhere along there, rather, whether it's this business or the next business, that's a really great answer. I love that. Um, cool. So now we're going to go back to what we were talking about earlier and we kind of touched upon it regarding uh, advertising channels. Um, so I, I imagine that this is going to be the answer. That's why I saved it for now. Um, if you had a $1,000 and that's your, that was your investment to start a business, how would you distribute that money? Like what would you spend it on? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hate to go to the, the, the probably standard answer of Facebook, but <laughs> here's, here's the thing with Facebook, right? So if there was no business and it was just a thousand dollars, you can prove so much so quickly off of driving Facebook traffic and very specific Facebook traffic um, to some sort of landing page that has a checkout. Um, and so, you know, I, what I would do, and I'm actually, I, I'm helping someone else start a company right now and, and she's doing the same thing, which is, like launch a whole bunch of ads with different copy, different positioning and figure out like what sells or, or what people are clicking on. Because like, I'll tell you the, the hero copy that we were using for hunt to killer for the first two years came from our best performing um, uh, Facebook ad. Mm -hmm. And so like, you can learn so much top of funnel of like what people are gravitating towards, like what they're actually looking for. Um, and then trickle that down throughout your entire funnel. So, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody's like, Oh gosh, Facebook, but you know, it, it's true. It's true. And you can drive quality traffic. Yeah. It's uh, I, yeah, I know. I honestly, I think that is the best approach though. Like, as you said, the fact actually it's, it, that should be highlighted as well. You're talking about taking the ad copy to inform your marketing copy uh, when they actually reach the page. And that means that your ads will line up with your, your copy and result in a conversion. Hopefully, um, that's, that's critical. And it's also ultimately quite a cheap way of testing copy very quickly as well. So you can iterate rapidly. And I think yep. that that's the key thing because you need to get that messaging correct 
hundred percent. And it's all about like, it's two things, right? You can test copy extremely quickly. And then you just brought up something that's, that's been really interesting and a big lesson learned for us, which is congruency. Mm-hmm. And like the more congruency you have from the copy that they actually enter your funnel all the way through the end, I think BarkBox, not to give BarkBox a shout out <laughs> on this one, but like, I think they do an incredible job because if you click on an ad that has a discount, like you're going through 12 steps, you're filling out a form, you're doing all these different things to get to the checkout. And when you get to the checkout, the coupon code that you clicked on 20 steps ago on a completely different site is already added to your cart. Mm-hmm. And it just provides a level of like confidence and, and trust um, between you and the brand. We're, we're not there yet, but uh, but they do a really good job with that. Uh, yeah, I think also that probably a part of that is to do with like reducing cognitive overhead. So, you know, not like reducing any need to think critically about how to actually purchase the product. And I feel like that's super essential. And like, I don't know if it's a priority at the very beginning to get that 100% nailed, but like you're saying, like you're still working towards that. And I think we always will be as businesses to try and get that fluid process. You know, what's interesting is the person that I'm helping right now, like she hasn't even changed her landing page at this point, but she's changing everything on, um, she's changing the positioning and the actual concept itself using Facebook ads. Mm just to see what people want more. And then she's going to change the website later. So like there's probably massive confusion of people that are clicking one thing, they go to her website and they're like, what the heck is this? But like, she is learning so much through five different positionings that she'll be able to pivot this company in two weeks and hopefully have immediate product market. I mean, that, that's amazing. That gets me so excited just hearing that. Cause I'm like, yes, that that's it. That is the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I would love to hear how that goes in the future, by the way, when we reconnect. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Um, okay, so I want to go into some more tactical stuff, actually. Um, what is one tactical thing or process that has changed your business or your life? Like, it doesn't have to be specific to the business. It could be your personal life. But like something that you, a process you've implemented or a tactic that you've deployed and it's just been a complete game changer for you. It's a tricky one. Yeah, I, I would I would probably say I, I keep giving all these companies plugs, but there's there's a um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Superhuman. Oh gosh, I hope I'm I hope I'm giving the right plug. You know, I, I think it is Superhuman, the email uh, system, the email software. Yeah. yeah. So getting control, and, and this is just more more broader, but like mm-hmm. getting control over your time, it, what I have found is the most critical the most critical aspect and, and being able to prioritize correctly. And so like I do a, a couple of different things. The, the first is like email is not a priority, but we spend so much time doing the email thing. That it just sucks up all of our day. And think about how it breaks up the day too, right? Like when you, when you think about the value you bring to your organization, you, be, you should be thinking I bring $1,000 or $5,000 an hour. And every time that you're working on that $5,000 an hour project and you get an email and then you divert attention to the email, and then you have to come back, like, mm. just think about what that does to your overall process. And so being able to, to, um, to really kind of isolate um, or being able to, to purposely um, or intentionally plan out your day um, it has been incredibly, incredibly helpful for me. So, you know, it's superhuman. Sure, it's a great product, um, but really it, it's getting control over your time and trying to minimize all of the noise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that I personally um have battled with because like I, I i like to act on like 
So like I'll want one thing to focus on, right? I love that. That space is perfect for me. Just one thing and do it like really, really well. But realistically, that's, that's not the case, you know, day to day, you have to change gear and planning that out and being really disciplined is, is probably the highest leverage move, but also really difficult to implement for me personally, that discipline is, is tough, but yeah, that's a really good one. Um, Okay, so this one's a bit more broad as well. What's, what's a business idea that you'd like to see created today but don't have the time or passion to solve right now? So like, that's a freebie for, the, for somebody out there listening. And if they're like, I want to start a business, I'm an entrepreneur, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> like, yeah. what have you got? Let's hear it. Yeah, so uh, your audience is going to think I'm crazy for this, but <laughs> I've got this idea and I just think that it works. So when I, here's, when I think about subscription businesses, I think about um, how can you get an AOV that it is, that is um, uh, over top of your customer acquisition cost or whatever you believe your customer acquisition cost is going to be. And then like, what is almost like a consumable. And so, so um, one of the things that skyrocketed over the last few months has been a uh, bird feed. Bird feed has skyrocketed in the U.S. And I think, and we're probably a part of that. Is that the COVID situation? Because of the COVID situation. Like people are looking, I guess, to feed their birds or feed (laughs) birds, or they want to bring birds to their backyard. So I don't know. But bird feed has gone on a a tear. And I'm sure like a thousand percent growth from, you know, 10 million bucks to 20 million bucks is nothing. But um, I, I think about like some sort of subscription product where you can upsell or you're coming through the funnel and it's like a hundred dollar purchase and you get this most amazing bird feeder, but it's an automatic quarterly subscription, which by the way, like quarterly subscription from what I hear, we're not there yet, but from what I hear is like the lowest uh, churn you can get. And mm-hmm. so you put it on a quarterly subscription, you have an immediate average order value that should be above. And it's got verticals too, right? Like you can have a, a bird watching conference and bring everybody to, I don't know, some bird land. Um, I know this is crazy, but like, I don't, I'm not passionate about birds or bird feed, but I just, I think there's, I think there's something there. Um, so an opportunity. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, I like that. And I don't think it's crazy by the way, just so you know, um, I think it's very specific and I, and I like that about it. It's like, you've thought about it. Um, okay. So what is one thing you advise any first-time entrepreneur? Now, I know you're pretty passionate about the topic of helping people start businesses. So what is the one thing you'd advise if you had to give one piece of advice? Yeah, it's, it's to start. I, I think that, mm-hmm. that so many, here's what happens as, as entrepreneurs or as just people with amazing ideas is, is you get so lost and wrapped up in that idea and it becomes this baby and you continue to perfect it. But the reality is, is that once you get to a certain place with whatever that idea is, you have no idea how to perfect it from there. Like you can, you, for three years, you can think about like bird feed, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, it's going to be premium bird seed and it's going to be this thing and it's going to be that. And I'm going to upsell this at the end of the day. Like the customer is going to tell you how to pivot and how to iterate your company. Mm. And so like even hunt a killer, Hunt a Killer has gone through thousands of iterations to get to where we are today. And it's been all based upon customer feedback. Um, and so like the most important step in entrepreneurship is, is sharing your baby with the world um, and, and letting, like you have to have thick skin, but letting other people tell you if that is solving a pain point um, or creates enough value for them to pull out their wallet. Mm-hmm. So like my, my advice is always get started. And whatever that first action is, like for me, like once I finally kind of turned the corner on entrepreneurship and got started, 
it's only because I went and filed for an LLC. And then I was like, well, I have this LLC. So now mm. I should do this. And now I should do this. And like, that's how the journey began. Um, but you have to take the first step. And, and that's, I, I see so many entrepreneurs just get lost in their ideas, great ideas, but get lost in them and they never take action. So you, you just got to take that first step. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a lot in that answer, which is like, that comes from just saying like, just get started. But you know, I, I was thinking about this earlier, how you, um, people in general, like are so scared of, of having their ideas torn apart, as you said, like, um, that they will basically focus on the things that they shouldn't be focusing on. That is like busy work and not actually getting the feedback and, and hearing the brutal feedback about whether or not their business idea is good or not. And it's because we all get so excited about these business ideas that we have that you think is the best thing since sliced bread. So you yeah. don't want to go through the pain of the rejection or, or, or destroying that image that you have in your head. So that's one part about that, that I think is, uh, is related. Well, you brought up a good point there. And I think that's the other, the other thing is, is looking at a business as a vehicle, like understanding where your personal goal is and that, the business is just a vehicle to, to get you to whatever that goal is. And that's, that's one way, not that I'm disconnected, but I, I never take a, I get, I celebrate when people tell us that our product sucks because it gives us an opportunity to correct it. And I never take personal offense to that because we're not, this is a vehicle. Like this is, this is how we're all achieving our own goals. And like, you're making it easier as the customer by saying my baby is ugly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think you just have to change the perspective from like, this is my brilliant idea to, business is a vehicle and this is going to be the idea and it's going to morph over the next, you know, however long. To exactly what you just said there. Like when we get criticism at first, the emotional reaction is ah, like frustration, but then I kind of go, no, this is great. This is exactly what we need. And I'm really grateful to be getting that negative criticism or feedback because now we can learn and adapt and improve. Yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what is, um, okay, actually, this is quite a, a unique question and I came up with this one today and I think, I think this is quite cool. So let's try it. Uh, if you could be asked any question to answer, what would that question be? Oh, wow. Um, I, I feel like it's good. I feel like it's a, a cop out now. Cause it, it would be, how do I start? Cause like my, my mm. passion is, is helping entrepreneurs. Like what, um, you know, not that we are, we are successful or unsuccessful. Like this is going to do what it, what it's going to do. And we're going to continue to drive towards our vision. And, and it's just an amazing journey and very exciting. Um, but I also have this passion for, for helping others and, and helping others achieve whatever their goals are. And so like opportunities to be able to mentor and to coach are just, um, I, I don't know. It just, it, it brings, it brings a lot of purpose into, into my life. And so, you know, I, I definitely, I definitely love it when, when people say, how do I start? But I don't know. That's a that's a great question. Maybe maybe I'll drop a better answer in the in the comment section at some point. But that, <laughs> that's a good question. That that uh, I I'll give some thinking. I, well, I wanted to uh, try it out today, and yeah, I, I think it could bring up some quite unique perspectives, possibly. Um, and I guess like a more broad and general question about Hunter Killer is like, what what's kind of what's next? What is it you guys are excited about right now? Yeah, so we're I, we're charged up about the future right now, and that that's something that that we were getting at earlier when we were talking about you know how do you continue to expand? Where, what are those whitewater moments? And and a lot of that is is not necessarily reaching um, maturity um, for for the market, but you have to get ahead of that, right? Like business is always going to be an S curve until it's just 
a bell curve and going right back down. And so you always have to, to get ahead um, of when you're going to start plateauing or when you're going to start coming back down. And for us, like we are, we are hyped up about two things in particular, which are happening over the next couple of months. The first is that um, we've added retail distribution as a business channel. So we spent all of 2019 um, developing this retail box experience that we could take to market. We launched it um, at the New York Toy Fair in February of this year. Um, and in October, we're going to be on the shelves of Target um, and wow. Amazon as a place to purchase order for, for it as well. So like we are, we are charged up about this new strategy, um, specifically because customer acquisition cost uh, is, is not what it is for the retail space. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're very excited about that. And then also for us, like what we believe is that we have, we have changed the way in which people, um, in which we can tell immersive stories. And so we can take any intellectual property that already exists and translate that into our process of immersive storytelling. And so we've partnered up with Lionsgate um, and we've got a, a, we have intellectual property or a franchise that is, that is already exists. And so what you'll see in September is that Hunt the Killer will break out into two brands um, and we will have different genres that you can enter the Hunt the Killer experience. Hmm. And we think that that's going to open up uh, a, 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 an equal size market to the true crime space as we continue to go from true crime, um, next is horror, and then we'll go into science fiction. But that's really how we see um, a scale for the company. That's amazing. Um, very clear vision as well, which is super important. Uh, I, yeah, I love that. The experiential sort of side of things, I'm sure is probably going to continue to grow, to be honest with you. So, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know if this is even on your radar, uh, but I discovered, I think, just after two weeks or three weeks into lockdown that you can get an Oculus with the computer built into it so that you don't need to tether from a computer. And I was like, that, that just changes the game for me. I would love to get into wow. like the, th the 3D kind of gaming and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, do you think anything like that would be converging with what you're working on? Is that like something that has crossed your, crossed your mind? Yeah, it's it's on the roadmap. So the the two things that are that we are actually working on right now that that aren't locked in is the the first is a television show, and so like we've put together a, a pretty good team to to take that out to market, put together the entire um, reel, and and hopefully get it sold. Um, but the second part is that the future of Hunt the Killer is really digital, and so when you look at when you look at kind of V1 Hunt the Killer, and that was a live experience where we brought all of these people physically together in a, a, a 200 acre campground. Mm -hmm. And then we pivoted the company to subscription box, which, you know, now we're looking at this much like Netflix, you know, Netflix early on used to ship DVDs to everybody. And That's then eventually right, yeah. they got to a place where they could distribute that content via bits. And not I, I always forget that they were DVDs first. They shipped DVDs. It was, yeah. it was a brilliant model. You just got a DVD in the mail, you watched it, you slid it back in the sleeve, you put it in your mailbox. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's how we see ourselves. And so right now we are, we are actively working on technology that will bring these types of experiences to life on, on the, you know, in the palm of your hand or, or on your computer screen. Very cool. Um, awesome. Well, I'm excited to see the future of Hunter Killer. Um, I think that it's, a, as I said, a very unique business, uh, but uh, you you kind of mentioned that you you're excited by like mentorship and stuff like that, and I feel like this is an appropriate opportunity to uh, to share where people could maybe reach you uh, if they're interested in in that that side of uh, what you do. Would you be willing to share where they can reach you or, or find you? Yeah, sure. 
So I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of me. It's just Ryan E. Hogan um, on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a website. It's, it's ryanehogan.com. Um, and then my email is just ryan at huntakiller.com. So, you know, I, I get a lot of emails. I respond to all of them. And, and if you need help or you need a soundboard or you want to tell me what we can do better, reach <laughs> out and, and let's have a conversation. And uh, obviously you're using Superhuman to deal with those emails, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can respond to all of them. It's just, exactly. It's just like 10 seconds. Yeah. Man, I got to get on the Superhuman. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this interview. Uh, I feel like there was a ton of value, actually. Lot, uh, and, and, and there was only 11 questions, but I feel like there was so many good gems that came out of it. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with the audience. And um, yeah, I would love to reconnect in the next, uh, in the next year, see where you guys are at and uh, you know, uh, hear about the progress with the mentorship as well. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, man. Take care. Walk on. Awesome. You've been listening to the Subscription Rockstars podcast, brought to you by Subly, the number one subscription e-commerce platform. We appreciate you taking the time to engage with and listen to this podcast. Make sure you click subscribe to find out when the next Subscription Rockstar podcast episode is available. For now, keep rocking on.